0: This is the
1: Jeff Merrick Show on the Sportsnet Radio Network.
0: And good afternoon. Welcome once again to the program. Glad to have you aboard today. A little bit of a shuffle right off the top. Uh, In a couple of moments, normally we would talk to Elliot Friedman from 32 Thoughts and Hockey Night in Canada. But moments before (laughs) we hit the airwaves, here's what I get from Freege. Where is it? Where is it? Where is it? Oh, here it is. Campbell and in 5, Scramble Mode. So he's going to be talking to Colin Campbell and Stephen Walkham. Elliot will be aboard. It'll be at uh, one thirty five. So in 90 minutes time, we'll get the full wrap. He will have talked to everybody and we'll have had the, the, full, the full understanding of what happened in day two at the general manager's meeting in Florida. You know, day one was an interesting one. We're going to get into a couple of the different things there. One of them. The idea of making cut-resistant technology mandatory and grandfathered, so new kids coming in uh, have to wear it, uh, but the old stubborn guys don't. Essentially, is what we're getting to. Um, coaches' challenge was discussed. Yes, expanding coaches' challenge both for high sticks and puck over glass. Like we're heading this way, right? The, you can't get the toothpaste back in once you started to, you know, once you started down the coaches' challenge route. I guess you have the technology, to use it. We're probably heading towards more stoppages in the game while we try to figure out what really happened. And, you know, the horrible thing for the sport of hockey is it keeps on getting faster and harder and harder to officiate. So if you think we're all done with the coaches' challenges and we're not going to add them to anything else, just look at how the game is played. Look at how fast it is. Look at how sudden it is. Look how chaotic it is. And say to yourself, well, they already have the technology. Someone will make the case that infraction X or game situation Y should be a coach's challenge or should have coaches afforded the opportunity to challenge it. It's coming. All I'm saying is it's coming. might not be after this round of general manager meetings, but it's coming. And... You know, the, the drag of it all as other sports, most notably baseball, as most other sports look to make their games shorter, more economical, tidier, uh, respecting people's time, <laughs> especially during the week. Um, and the NHL has always tried to get their games in uh, in and around 220, 230, two hours and 20 minutes, two hours and 30 minutes, long gone are the three hour games. You know, stops and starts like this, just add minutes on to the game. I think maybe part of the conversation should be, if you can't come up with something conclusive in, what is it, 45 seconds, one minute, whatever the number may be, the call on the ice stands. How about that? Just in the spirit of not so much get the call right, but let's get on with the game for a bigger conversation. Um, there was an update yesterday to the Ottawa Senator sale. The first round, um, is now done, uh, by way of process round two begins. We talked about this a little bit yesterday. We talked about it on the podcast as well. And this next round, I believe will take a couple of weeks. Essentially what happens now is all the groups go back and they, how shall we say this? Polish their bids, shine them up nice, maybe add, Maybe add a couple of dollars. Look under every cushion. Try to find some more quarters to add to your offer, and then at that point, and I'm not sure if it goes by way of whomever bids the most, or maybe it goes by whichever the seller, the uh, the buyer, the uh, the sellers deem most credible. They have an opportunity to close. So that is an intriguing part of all of this and how this happens. Um, So cut-resistant technology, that was discussed. Coaches challenges, that was discussed. Fights after clean hits. I mean, they already have an instigator rule. Although the instigator rule is an interesting one. Because, again, I was was talking to Kevin Bieksa about this on, on Saturday before we went on hockey night. Just because someone drops their gloves to fight you doesn't mean you have to fight. As a matter of fact, if someone drops their gloves and you drop your gloves, to me that's just a fight regardless of who dropped their gloves first. Just because someone drops their gloves doesn't mean automatically you are in a position to fight. Now, you are are also in a position where you'll get insulted on the ice and you'll get chirped. That's fine. But again, is it an instigator if both engage in the fight, regardless of who drops their gloves first. I don't think the fighting conversation is going away anytime soon either. Um, Also, today I believe there was supposed to be a conversation about holding players out for, let's all say it together because it's part of the vernacular now, trade-related reasons. And by the way, as an aside, I can't remember who tweeted it in, but it was a great line. Um, at what point are we going to see players held out for lottery related reasons? Oh, you know what? We'd love to play Patrick Liney with the Columbus Blue Jackets, but we want to win a lottery here. So he's being held out by the Columbus Blue Jackets for lottery related reasons. We don't need the points. Thank you very much. Um, the trade-related reasons discussion, the healthy scratches around trade-related reasons, um, that'll be a point of discussion as well around the uh, the general managers today, if it already hasn't been. One thing that I don't think has been reported, at least I haven't seen it, yesterday I believe there was a discussion about the pegs. So, man, this was a real tempest uh, in a teapot for a couple of weeks. Um, the pegs, that kept coming out. Um, and one of the points that we've been making ever since has been a couple of things. And goaltenders have echoed this as well. Every arena has a different standard for the pegs. Some arenas, the pegs come out easier. Some, they are more secure. Now the Marsh pegs has been with us for, someone's going to correct me on this, but I want to say like 30 years, maybe 35 years. That's how long we've used this technology. And there is a feeling certainly amongst the goaltending community and amongst others now that it has cost goals and delays, et cetera, et cetera. And I'm sure the officials as well, that maybe there needs to be a way to update how the nets stay in place because essentially it's, you know, the marsh pegs and a turkey baster (laughs) to try to to keep the net in place. Uh, And the way the goaltenders now, the reverse VH and pushing up, more nets are going to come off the pegs. First of all, nobody wants to go back to the way that it was, where the pegs didn't move. And we saw horrible injuries. And whenever we mention this, we always do mention Mark Howe in one of the most unfortunate injuries in the history of the NHL. If you don't know what I'm talking about, do a quick Google search on Mark Howe net injury. And be prepared to feel very, very uncomfortable when you read what I'm talking about. Um, so there was discussion about the pegs and, and what to do there. There's a, there's a few areas that are sort of archaic as well as you look around the NHL that will get updated one day. Uh, the pegs are one of them. Uh, and I think the, uh, the goalie masks as well and the technology to keep the mask on. Like the strap technology that has been with us ever since you know, the modern version of the, of the goalie mask has been with us um, really needs some updating. And you see it. Most recently, we just saw it with Jordan Bennington again, where the puck hits and one strap comes off and it compromises the integrity of the mask and some goalies want to shake the mask off and that brings with it a whole new set of questions and conversations. I think that that is going to go to the goaltending R&D department. Come back with something appropriate. What they should do is hand it all off to the guys at In Goal Magazine. Kevin Woodley's crew, let them come up with something. But the way that it is right now, like when you look at it, it's one of those things, I think, when you look back 20 years from now and you look at the Goldie masks from 2023, you say to yourself, they use that? (laughs) They use that to keep the masks on? Really? And we'll say to ourselves, yeah, I don't know what we were thinking. We'll probably say the same thing about the pegs. Um, so those were some of yesterday's discussions and the Pegs discussion, I believe, is, is coming up today or, or maybe it came up yesterday as well. Facts are getting blurred as the season goes on. Um, yesterday, no, there was a conversation yesterday about the Pegs. So we'll get all of this, the time and temp on all of it from Elliot Friedman in the second hour, one thirty Eastern specifically. Um, in the meantime, a couple of things from last night. Now, as a, as one of my friends points out to me, there's something kind of nasty, sneaky-dirty, and I think it goes to the outdoor game in Hamilton last season, and it might have started even before that, but there's kind of something historically sneaky-dirty between two players, one from the Maple Leafs and one from the Buffalo Sabres, and we saw it again last night. Do you know who I'm talking about? If you watched Rogers Monday Night Hockey and saw the Leafs-Sabres game, we're going to get to the Colorado-Montreal game here in a second, but if you watched that one, Specifically in the first period, there's a very sneaky, dirty, almost quiet, though, rivalry of dirtiness in the NHL between these two teams. And it involves Austin Matthews and Rasmus Dahlin, who every chance they get, take a swipe at one another. Now, this is on the heels of one of the other great individual rivalries. To say nothing of a team rivalry that does exist between Toronto and Buffalo, this is one of the reasons why I want the Buffalo Sabres to do really well because this could be a fantastic rivalry if these two teams met in the playoffs and then had some more explosive regular season games. It's just an hour and a half away down the QEW after all. This one could be a really great one. So, Buffalo... Get there fast. Buffalo, get there quicker. Kevin Adams, let's go. Move this along. We need Toronto Buffalo to be a thing. Um, not too long ago, there was a great personal rivalry, rivalry between Nazem Kadri and Rasmus Ristelainen where every, it seemed like every single game, those two guys were fighting. Had not, no matter what the situation was, no matter if there was a slight, either perceived or otherwise, these two guys were going to throw down. These two guys, in their minds, you can, just, you can just imagine going to the game, them thinking about, A, the game, and, B, what they're going to do to one another. And we're not there yet with an actual dropping of the gloves between the two. This one is how superstars have physical rivalries. There's a chop, there's a whack, there's a cross-check, there's a slash, something on the wrists maybe for a little spice, maybe a little poke behind the knees. Maybe a chop at the ankles as you're skating back. Make no mistake about it. There is something between those two stars. Um, Big win last night by the Colorado Avalanche. uh, Another game on Rogers Monday Night Hockey yesterday. 8-4 to is the final. Uh, Arturi Lekkinen, Jeez. So Arturi Lekkinen back in Montreal. Scores a pair of goals. Adds a helper as well. And then leaves around halfway through the second period with a fractured finger. Jared Bednar says, not good. Four to six, maybe more. Had surgery. Hit by a shot. Oh, it sucks. And this is a team, by the way, this is a team that has been dogged by injuries all season long. And just when they start to get bodies back, another couple fall real fast. And we still have the questions about Gabriel Landeskog. And depending on who you talk to, maybe he's coming back this season and maybe he's not. We're still not sure. But Arturi Lakinin was such a huge part of that avalanche team yesterday, or last season rather. They went to the Stanley Cup final and won the Stanley Cup. This one is a crusher. Guys like that perform top-notch come playoff time. And, you know, it got me to thinking, um, when you look at the situation that we're in right now around the NHL, we always look at, you know, teams that the NHL is dining out on in the league. Like, at the last World Cup of Hockey, Team North America didn't win anything. Nothing. Squat. Zero. Nada. Last call. Go home. Nothing. But the impact of that team is still great. The style the game is played at now is the style the team North America played at in the World Cup of Hockey. And again, they achieved nothing, but their effects are still being felt. Matter of fact, I can recall talking to John Cooper a few years ago, I said, what's the best team you ever coached? And he said, without a doubt, Team North America. The team team that changed everything. And he said, it's a team that when you look back 20, 30 years from now, you're going to say, Wow, that guy's in the Hall of Fame, 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 that guy, that guy, that guy, that guy, that guy, that guy that, all of them. You're going to make a case for the Hall of Fame for a lot of these players. And there's uh, another team that teams are really dining out on, and it really is their time in the NHL right now. And you know what team that is? Royal Juniors, 2016. Team Finland. That was a team that won gold. You might have been expecting I was going to say Team Canada or USA, but no. Team Finland. And now with Andrei Svechnikov out indefinitely for the Carolina Hurricanes, and I know as Elliot tweeted last night, they're seeking a second opinion and hoping for better results. With Andrei Svechnikov out indefinitely, indefinitely, and we cross our fingers that it's not for the whole season. Yes, so takes his spot on that top line with Sebastian Ajo and Seth Jarvis. So it reunites Paul and Sebastian Ajo, two-thirds of the top line at that 2016 World Junior Championship. Patrick Liney was the other one. But when you go down the list, like when, when you go down the list and you have a look at, you know, all the players – on that team that are making significant impacts on their team right now. I'll just share a few of them here. Again, this is 2016 Team Finland. Rupe Hins was on that team. Oh, by the way, Yessi Poliarvi was on that team as a Sebastian How I mentioned that. Rupe Hins, number one center, Dallas Stars, tops in the Central. I think they have a legit chance at winning the Stanley Cup. That's how highly I think of Dallas. He's the top dog in the middle. Rupe Hins was on that team. Um, Kasperi Kapanen, I know, albeit controversial, has kind of bounced around a couple of different places. He was on that team. I mentioned Patrick Linea as well. Um, Oli Olevi, I know, who's bounced around a few places and was a high draft pick. He was on that squad. Kapo Kakanen, the netminder, was on that team. But the big one coming out of that tournament... And I was mentioning him yesterday that in any other season, we might be looking at making a Hart Trophy case for him, even though Nathan McKinnon is having a fantastic season. Mikko Rantanen was a star on that team as well. That team's impact still being felt in the NHL right now was a terrible night for injuries around the league. Andrei Sveshnikov indefinitely with a knee injury, Arturi Lekanen, Breaks a finger four to six weeks lacking into the Colorado Avalanche. But some good news today, we hope. First of all, we hope it's good news for the person. And secondly, we hope it's good news for the team. Sean Couturier skating with his teammates in Philadelphia today, albeit in a non-contact jersey. So I don't think anybody wants to get ahead of themselves and talk about you know timelines and can he come back this season and all that. This is going to be very much a day-by-day situation with Sean Couturier. This is going to be very much a every day that he's out there and gets a little bit better is a little more of a blessing for the Philadelphia Flyers. Again, skating in a non-contact jersey. He's not skating on his own anymore. They're letting him mix in with the team. Sean Couturier on the ice for the Flyers. Uh, Want to let you know what's coming up on the program here. Coming up at the bottom of the hour. Very much looking forward to talking about the New Jersey Devils, winners of seven of the last ten, winners of three in a row. Um, Ryan Novozinski of, of NJ.com is going to stop by. We'll talk about Timo Meyer. We'll talk about Vitek Vanja. By the way, did you see that? I tweeted it out last night. Did you see Timo Meyer grab that high pass last week? Really subtle but brilliant. It's like a lob and he grabs it on his stick, lacrosse style. Like, doesn't pick it up off the ice like we've seen with the Michigan, but catches it toward, on its downward trajectory, just flips it over and cradles it. Again, lacrosse style. We'll talk about the Devils and Timo Meyer. Uh, random player of the day returns after we did about, you know, a dozen random players yesterday with Bruce Boudreaux. Ryan Callahan from ESPN, former NHL forward, as well. We'll get it to him. And uh, Elliot checks in from the NHL general managers meetings in the second hour, one thirty-five uh, Eastern. Specifically, Maddie Marchese, our producer, is aboard once again. How you doing today, Maddie?
2: I'm good. That was quite the open.
0: I just started riffing. Just started talking. Yep. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> it's amazing it's like, what you okay, can do. When you just just start gonna start talking. I'll just. Uh, just I know it's ask ask my wife. Um, yeah, I just uh, stuff off the top of my head. I just wanted to, yeah, I just I just kind of wanted to talk a little bit about what happened to the GMs yesterday and some of the things. Like nothing was really earth shattering coming out of the GMs. Like we're not looking at I don't think you know any significant rule changes. You know I know the cut resistance stuff is is one issue, but we're not talking about um, anything that's gonna you know really directly impact the game in a significant way. Like, I don't know what they do. Like, honestly, I'd love to hear the, some of the conversations to hear the general managers talk about it. Um, but I don't know what you're going to do with the idea of an automatic fight um, after a, uh, after a big hit. And moreover, if both players drop their gloves, it's just a fight. Like you are, again, you are under no obligation to fight. If someone drops their gloves, you can just cover up and turtle. You're under no obligation to fight. But if you drop your gloves and answer the bell, then it is a fight. But if someone drops gloves and the other one doesn't drop their gloves, I think right there you go, you throw that guy in the box for a deuce. Boom. Two-minute minor. Your team goes on the power play. It's a clean hit. You're under no obligation to fight. To me, everything's already in the rule book. Maybe just a conversation is enforce the rule book and remind the players, A, you don't have to fight. If you do, they wash because it's a fight. You've both dropped your gloves. And if you want to put your team on the power play, don't drop your gloves. Don't throw a punch. You don't have to. No well, obligation. Well, that's,
2: that, that's the whole... It's the whole macho thing about the sport, right? Like, nobody ever wants to be labeled as a turtle. Although there are plenty of guys that do it, but the guys that are throwing around these hits that that require uh, said action from the opposing team, like like Jacob Truba the other day against Alex Nylander. By the way, that was a wonderful hit. Um, like those are the guys they're not gonna it's not in their nature to turtle right so that's that's the point about all of this is that it's never going to happen but i agree with you shouldn't matter shouldn't matter Uh who drops their gloves first it's it's a fight two willing combatants Mm -hmm. that's it that's all
0: it's a fight so what you're saying moreover then is um and the stigma around turtling
2: yes Yes. Stop. (laughs) Leave the turtles alone. (laughs) Save the turtles. Save the turtles.
0: (laughs) End the stigma around turtling when one person wants a fight. Well, I mean, it's interesting because, you know, I can remember having um, uh, uh, conversations about players showing the numbers at the boards. I remember having a conversation with one player and I said, why do you guys do that? Like, it's, you put yourself in such a dangerous position. And this player said to me, uh, it's true. We do put ourselves in a really dangerous position. He said, but think about it this way, because this is how we think about it. If you show your numbers at the boards in order to protect the puck, it's probably the best way to protect the puck. So you keep the puck if no one attacks you. But two, if they hit you, they're hitting you from behind, It's a dangerous situation for you, but your team's going on the power play. So you've both ways, you're helping the team. He said it's a no-lose situation other than your own personal safety and personal health. Your neck. (laughs) Uh, uh, Yeah, other than than that, it's great for the team. I've either retained possession of the puck or I've put my team on the power play. Why wouldn't I do that? And if I put my team on the power play, go back to the bench, and the coach gives me a cookie. It's the way it is. If you can get that type of mentality around turtling, or covering up when someone drops their gloves to attack you after a big hit, see, I think a lot of the, a lot of what you're talking, like a lot of what we're talking about about the uh, the automatic fight after the hit, is just that mentality that, I don't think it really, it still does exist. In junior hockey, it doesn't obviously exist in, in Division I uh, because they wear full face shields. Like I've always maintained, you want to get rid of fighting, put the, put the cages on. Um, but really, that's just the, the mentality is people grow up with this idea that you have to answer for a big, clean body check, rightly or wrongly. And you know what? I remember talking to someone, an enforcer. This would have been, got a conversation about 10 years ago. And I said, essentially, why do you guys do that? And he said quite bluntly, he said, Look, is hitting legal? Yeah, he said, but no one likes it. Like it's really dangerous. And we want to make sure like it has nothing to do with like oh like oh we're we're standing up for our teammates. He's like, no, what we're doing is saying this legal thing that's part of hockey, we don't want you to do that to us. And secondly, and this this one I found really interesting, Maddie. The second point that he made was really interesting. He said, this is a game of momentum. And what a big hit can do is swing momentum to that team's side. Like if yep. Jacob Truber runs over Nealander, momentum swings from the Pens to the Rangers like that. And he said, my job at that point is to stop that momentum. So I go in for the fight right away, the whistle blows, and the momentum stops. And I had never heard that logic before, but it makes a lot of sense that it is a tactic to stop momentum right away, to end it. Boom. You're not going to get anything off of this hit. You ever heard that argument before? The idea uh, of, doing, of, uh, of engaging in the fight to stop momentum?
2: no but it does make a lot of sense like i've always said this because there's you know this there's a there's a big portion of the population that believes that fighting doesn't belong in hockey and while when we think about it from the uh, from the root level of two men bare knuckle boxing each other essentially which would be illegal in every other aspect of life um you can do that legally on the ice in hockey now i always say to those people. No, you can't. Have...
0: No, you can't. Whoa, 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 whoa. whoa. Well, you get, you get penalized. Positive. No, no, yes. you can't. It's not legal. Fighting is, again, we say, I mean, it's tolerated. It's still a penalty. Yeah, you don't go to jail. Is what I'm saying.
2: <laughs>
0: no, you don't go to jail. <laughs> well, like, listen, dude, if someone's walking down the street and I hit him in the shins with a hockey stick, like, I, I, trust me, it's going to be more than a two minute timeout <laughs> for me if I do it outside my house, you know, walking my kids to school. So, you like, there's the a box. certain suspension here. Like, there's a certain, yeah, you feel shame. There's a certain, you know, su- suspension of the real life when you play sports. But please proceed. to sort of jump in yeah. there.
2: No, no, and that, and that's fine. So my thing is, is that if if you have ever been on the bench when something like that happens and somebody responds with a big fight, the momentum that you yourself get, it gets you fired up. So for people that say, "Oh, that's not real," I, it is real. It is absolutely one hundred percent real. That feeling that you get of, you know, your guy just got rocked, but your teammate stands up for him, and you know, you, you can feel your energy start to pick up. That is absolutely real. And people that say that it's not, uh, have never experienced that mm-hmm. in my opinion. So I I don't I don't love the idea of after every clean hit, every big clean hit that you have to answer the bell. But I I get it. I don't I don't love it, but I get it.
0: So one of the issues that, and this is common in whether it's in sports or even things like the military or society for that matter, trying to, trying to find tactical solutions to strategic problems. So let let me tell you what I'm getting at here. Ah, geez, we're getting heavy on time and getting all philosophical too. Um, so the strategy when you're out there is one, to score a goal, two, to put, your, to put your team in a position so you can score the most goals. That is the strategy. All I'm saying is to the point about essentially it takes two to go. Um, the tactic should be I am trying to put my team in as many possible situations to score a goal as possible. So the smart thing to do in order to put my team in a position where they can score a goal when someone comes at me to fight after a big hit is to not engage. Take one for the team. And even if, hang on, on, I'm going to give you another example. Even if it means standing there and getting hit in the face. Players have done that before. I remember Aaron Ward with Scotty Walker. Players have done that before. I talked earlier about the attitude needing to change or the mentality. Again, don't try to find tactical solutions to strategic problems. Follow the strategy. If you can start to think that taking a punch in the face is the same as blocking a shot, then I think that team does itself a great service. Because that's what that would be. Not blocking a puck, I'm blocking a punch and we're going to the power play. Though I think the NHL gets there, probably not anytime soon, because we're talking about changing an entire mentality. But to the conversation about automatically having to fight after a big hit, if you can change your thinking on... What happens and what is a fight and what you should what should you do if you lay a hit and someone comes at you to fight. If you can look at this as I'm taking one for the team, not unlike Ian Le sticking his face in front of a Paul Martin shot in that Philadelphia New Jersey playoff game so many years ago, then you do your team a service. Where you do a team your team a disservice is you lay someone out from their team Someone comes in to fight you and you oblige just because you don't want to be called a turtle. And the turtle stigma, Maddie. Save the and turtles. And you do your team a whole world of good. All right. Um, Elliot Friedman coming up in hour two. I'm sure I'm going to get the tweets about that, both positive and negative, and that's fine. I welcome them all. And if you have a point to make, DM me, mine or open, or tweet me. I will share them here on The program, Uh, Ryan Novazinski is going to drop by from NJ.com. We'll talk about the New Jersey Devils. They've been really good. Um, Spoiler: Uh, They've been really good lately. Uh, We'll talk about the Devils and Timo Meyer and Vitek Vanacek, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, Ryan Callahan still to come as well, and Elliot Friedman an hour too. Merrick Show continues across the Sportsnet Radio Network. Getting on the Devils page here in a second. On the uh, Sportsnet Radio Network, also simulcast on Sportsnet 360 and Sportsnet Now. Back in a moment.
1: The most opinionated maple leaf show out there. Real kipper and born. Be sure to subscribe and download the show on Apple, Spotify or wherever you get your podcasts. This is the Jeff Merrick show on the Sportsnet Radio Network.
0: Welcome back to the program. Don't forget Elliot Friedman stopping by in one hour's time. Had to uh, postpone today's normal appearance. Um, He was chasing Colin Campbell and Stephen Walkham at the Jams meetings in uh, Florida. Uh, top of the hour, Ryan Callahan stops by as well. In the meantime, we're talking about the New Jersey Devils. There are 12 games on the go around the NHL this evening, and one that I am going to be parking a lot of time with, I suspect, will be the Tampa Bay Lightning facing the New Jersey Devils. This one looks like it could be a doozy. Ryan Novazinski covers the Devils for the NJ.com, and he joins me now. Ryan, how are you, pal? Jeff, yes, I am
3: I'm excellent, and uh, you best know that I'm going to tell Nico Heisher that you said hello.
0: <laughs> is it that bad? Like, am I that obvious? Like, is that my my fanboydom for obvious, Nico fan. Heisher? Like, it's it's. <laughs> It's so embarrassing. Like, there are a few. Like, I'm the same way about Gabriel Landeskog. Like, there's a few that I'm like this about where even my wife's like, you're a grown man. Like, what's with these, like, hockey hockey player crushes you have? It's him. Anyway, he sure is, he sure is one of mine. I, I love him. Um, but here's who I want to start with. And I want to get to Timo Meyer, and I want to get to Vanacek, Uh and I do want to get to – well, I want to get to Hughes, and, you know, I, I want to get to to, to Heisher here in a second. But not in New Jersey – but everywhere around the league, I don't think it was noisy enough about what we just saw from Dar- Dawson Mercer. A 12-game uh, point streak. You know, I've always, you know, I've always gone back and forth like, is he a better winger? Is he a better center? Where does he fit with this team? Um, when I say the name Dawson Mercer to you, first of all, your thoughts on the 12-gamer. And second of all, just in general, your thoughts on Dawson Mercer, what he means to the Devils.
3: He is—he's incredible, um, and and you just look at the timing of this historic streak that he went on, um, which I think he became one of two players uh, un- under the age of 22 to uh, you know have a points streak this long. It was unbelievable. Um, and what the the timing meaning that he was circled in and all those rumors with with Meyer and you know how true those were, uh, we don't necessarily know. Although mm. I'm sure. You know, San Jose wanted Dustin Mercer, especially with how, you know, he kind of exploded this season. He had sort of a weird, like, beginning of the season where, you know, he was fluctuating up and down, you know, top six, bottom six. Uh, At one point, he was technically on the fourth line, uh, although it was more, you know, uh, line deploying-wise, it was more of the third line. Um, But he has risen into being just a key piece to that top line, which has, you know, your buddy Heischer, like we just talked about, uh, and Tomas Tatar, and Dawson yeah. Mercer, and it's the best line. That, it's one of the best lines in the NHL right now. Um, and, you, know, you look at just the, uh, the amount of attempts that they have um, against other teams since they were put together, I think, uh, in mid-February. Um, and you look at the, the goals numbers, expected goals numbers, all the you know, advanced metrics that people love, um, some people hate, you look at all of those and they bode well for that top line and Dawson Mercer is, is a huge reason for that. And he's a huge locker room guy too. I mean, um, I, I mm-hmm. think a bunch of pundits this year said that he, he could be, they could see him being, you know, an assistant captain someday. And, and I think, you know, he ha- he is that kind of character. He's kind of a, uh, you know, he's a vocal guy when he needs to be. I think he's underratedly tough too. I think his net front is really great. Yep. Um, and I think he's not afraid to scrap, even though, I mean, he doesn't look like the biggest guy either to me. Um, but yeah, I think what a season for him.
0: Yeah. You know, and um, to, to the, to the previous point too, like I, I think eventually, although like Heidi cracked the lineup, he sure and he was in front of you as your number one and number two centers. I like him as a center, maybe just because I saw him so much, you know, before he made it to the NHL as a center. You know, my 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 default is still my default setting for Dawson Mercer is he's going to end up in the middle. Um, I know they're set with the with the top two, but do you see him long term as a center or staying as a winger?
3: Um, I think it depends, sort of, what what New Jersey does depth wise uh, going forward. Um, and, and you know, that's not to say that that guys like Eric Halla will be, you know, the determining points. Uh, between Mercer, you know, staying yeah. uh, in one position versus another, uh, you know, if, if uh, he's more comfortable in one, I'm sure Lindy will, will adjust. But um, for obviously for this season, I, I think it's, you know, obviously going to be more of a winger role. Um, I could definitely see him going back to, to center. The long term, um, I actually think that would be a really good idea. Um, and it kind of just depends, I guess, you know, what his role will be uh, in the future, um, if they can ink him long term, uh, especially too um which i you know i have mm-hmm. i have no doubt that that Dawson Mercer seems like a guy that that fits you know this team for for the long run uh you know i am I'm, I'm sure you you might feel the same way
0: you there? Oh, can you hear me? I think we just lost him. we Oh, there we go. We got we got you back. Sorry about that. You just uh cut out for a couple of seconds. Uh sorry, you just cut out before you made your final point about about Dawson Mercer in the middle. You want to finish that one up?
3: Yeah, I was just saying, you know, I, I think that, you know, you could see this, this guy, uh, Dawson, you know, being sort of a long-term guy for the Devils. So whatever his role may be, um, it, you know, I'm sure there'll be internal conversations about it. Uh, but I, I do like the, uh, the the prospect of him going back to center. I think it could be, you know, really something uh, special there.
0: You know, I, I, th- I think your thoughts on, you know, what they end up doing uh, with the wingers is a really interesting one and, and probably the right point with all of it when it comes to Dawson Mercer. And I think a lot of it revolves – Around what happens with Timo Meyer, if they can re-sign Timo Meyer, that means, you know, and they're going to redo, you know, they're going to they're going to extend Jesper Brad, as we all expect as well. I wonder about a player like Yegor Sharenkovitch if there's a future there. Um, and if they're redoing this and letting go of Sharon Govich, is that one of the spots where, you know, you open up wings, you know, you open up position on the wings and that's probably where Dawson Mercer slides in. Um, okay. So here's one of the things that Friedman and I have been going back and forth on for the last little while. I think we mentioned it on the last podcast too. Connor McDavid is going to win the heart trophy period. We all know that the race is for number two. Well, there's, there's, there's only one question about McDavid in the heart, and that is, will it be unanimous? But parking that for a second, in any other season other than this one with Connor McDavid doing just insane and obscene things on a nightly basis, could you not make a heart trophy case for Jack Hughes of the New Jersey? You, you, Your thoughts on you him being to. a candidate?
3: Yeah, you have to. Um, any other season, if if McDavid is not going off like he is, um, and he definitely is, um, you would definitely have to put Jack Hughes in the conversation. I mean, look, look at uh, you know Taylor Hall's uh, season um, when when he won it with New Jersey back in in 2017. He carried the team. Mm-hmm. Jack Hughes uh, when he really elevated scoring wise this season, it came after a December in which the Devils were really bad. I mean, I think they won four games. Um that was by far their their worst month of the year um Jack Hughes elevated his game and and he took them through a January where you know he looked like he could genuinely be in the car hard conversation you know um but you know I would yeah. say I, I would say yeah you gotta you gotta put it there and and um Jack Hughes as a scoring threat is is just something that I didn't it was not on my bingo card for this year um it might have been in the future. But he clearly worked on it this summer. I think he mentioned it on your guys' show that that was something, you know, he was modeling after Austin Matthews. Um, it's, it's just um, awesome to see that growth. And, you know, I think him being with Meyer uh, now allows him to be more of a playmaker. Um, so if Timo can get it going scoring wise, I mean, that's just it's a scary thought to think about.
0: One of the things that I find fascinating about the New Jersey Devils is down the middle, and again, here I go with Heisher again, but I want to throw Hughes in here too. Down the middle, the New Jersey Devils have, just to be blunt, smallish centers. And when Heisher was drafted, there was a question is he big enough to be a center in the NHL? And when Jack Hughes was selected first overall, there were the questions. Is he big enough to be a center in the NHL, given all the responsibilities and given how traditionally, physically, you have to play as a center in the National Hockey League? The New Jersey Devils fly in the face of all of that, and it should come to no one's surprise. I mean, this is a team that prides itself on being, you know, as someone told me, quote, the smartest team in the NHL, and they don't just rely on, you know, old historical stereotypes and beliefs. They actually, you know... Do the work and, you know, lift up the hood and have a look at uh, what makes the engine go. Um, I, I find that endlessly fascinating. Two guy, I think he sure is six feet. Um, Jack Hughes or, uh, Hughes is 5'10", maybe 5'11". And those are your one-two centers. Like, there are others. Like, Sidney Crosby is not a giant either, but Evgeny Malkin is. Um, I, I I can think back historically, you know, that 1970s Montreal Canadiens team, they were smallish down the center too, and they, that might have been the best NHL team ever. Um, but do you have a thought on the size down the middle, flying in the face of everything we believe a center should be in the NHL, specifically a top six center?
3: I think this season is really a culmination of, of, um and then what you just said, the the Devils being one of the smartest teams in the league is a culmination of just this rebuild and how it kind of all came together. I think the Devils packed themselves with people who are really understanding not of just analytics but of how hockey was evolving. And I think Tom Fitzgerald is, is at the is at the center of that. Um hockey's evolving. We we all hear it, you know, how it's gonna be you know how it's uh entering a more you know skillful and, and, and quick era. So you have to have that um, mm-hmm. that toughness in the playoffs. And I think you're seeing that. The Devils, I think, are maybe uh, third to last in the league in hits and um, other f- physicality metrics. Um, they're not physical at all. Uh, and, and, you know, adding Meyer, adding Curtis Lazar, that addresses that to where they can, you know, have more of a physical uh, push in the playoffs. Um, and, you know, in addition to guys like Nathan Bastion, in addition to guys like you know uh, Miles Wood and, and uh, Brennan Smith. Um, they wanted to get more of that, um, but I think their bread and butter, as you've seen this year, is just their skill guys and and you know how well they can create these chances, how well you know they possess the puck. Um, Lindy's system is is just working out, and and, and um, I mean credit to him for evolving as well. I mean, as you guys know, like he's, I mean probably what the longest tenured coach in in, in the league. Uh, Right now, or one of the most seasoned coaches in
0: the league right now? John Cooper. Um credit
3: to him for involving
0: as John Cooper. As well. John Cooper. John Cooper. Oh no, I, I'm not saying that's uh, the... consecutive tenure. Yeah. Oh, okay. Oh you just mean tenure like in general. Oh yeah, absolutely. Uh, L- yeah. <laughs> oh man, Lindy's been around since like, yeah, straight sticks and, 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 and wrist shots. Um let me uh you know, the the your point about hits is an interesting one and I don't have the answer in front of me, but you know the idea of a team being amongst the bottom in hits, um, once upon a time, a manager might look at that and say, "Oh, we got to get you know, we got to get tougher. We need more guys with snarl." Until you realize, well, you're only doing the hitting when you don't have the puck. Um, and then I look at a team like the Detroit Red Wings, who were the you know this is like Zetterberg and uh, Pavel Datsuk and Nick Lidstrom and Brian Rafalski and that whole Johan Franzen. Like they were the possession monsters. Um, but a lot of those guys like left the game injured and I can recall having a conversation with one person who said well they got injured because they always had the puck and that's when you get hit that's the only downside of being a possession team you get hit a lot strategically there are smart plays where you surrender the puck. And I think that's why Carolina does it a lot. Like Carolina is this combination of new school, old school where, you know, it's a new school approach, new school way of, of measuring what's happening out there. Yet they lead the league in dump ins and retrievals, which is the old school way of, of getting the zone. Essentially what I'm getting at is I'd be really curious to see a, uh, and as I say this, someone is going to send this in partially, you know, why I say things like this. I'm curious which team gets hit the most. Which team has received the most hits on a, uh, on a nightly and, and, and seasonally basis as well? Um, just for, for no other reason other than you look for players that might be predisposed to injuries just based on the style, and if it's a strong possession style, how many times they get hit. And again, this would just be probably anecdotal with you and me, but do you notice New Jersey getting hit abnormally more than other teams?
3: Um, yeah, I mean, that's, that's a good point. Um, I would bet that, you know, you, you would obviously look at, um, and given the example that you just gave, I would bet that, you know, the team that leads the league in, in, in course four would probably, you know, be up there in, in terms of that. Um, I do, you know, I, I, now that you mentioned that I do uh, notice that New Jersey does get hit a lot. Um, and you know, sometimes those big hits have been uh, detrimental to them this year, um, or big hit, you know, uh, hits late on them. Um, Especially because they don't have that really enforcer that can, you know, go at uh, somebody. You know that that lays a big hit. Uh, I'm trying to think of an example. Of what happened earlier this season? I think there was uh, during one of their Ottawa games. Um, they there there was a big hit. I can't remember from who, um, but they they uh, I think it was a cross check against Caesar actually, um, and nobody everyone just kind of stayed the course. So people were kind of kind of ticked off about that. Uh, you know, wishing the Devils had more of a physical edge. They've had guys step yeah. up and be sort of those enforcers they've had bastion step in that role they've even had michael mcleod has uh, stepped up as as kind of a fighter on the team now um but yeah i, I that's a that's a very good point jeff uh, I, i'll have to uh look at it now, although yeah. i'm sure it's already been to you, <laughs> you,
0: you, know, you know, it's funny you mentioned you mentioned mcleod a second ago there was that one uh who was it against it was two or three weeks ago um uh, the defenseman philly uh Nick sealer the mcLeod Sealer oh, yeah. scrap like i know like new new, new jersey does, you're right you're like you're right Ryan like they don't do it very often if at all, but that mcLeod sealer scrap that was that one was a duty. Um, okay, only got a couple of minutes left. You want to ask you about with you? Um, want to ask you about Timo Meyer? And first of all, I, I retweeted what someone sent in to me yesterday with Timo Meyer receiving that alley oop pass on his blade. Like the skill is just the lead and the size and all of it, and going to the net, the strength. Like I know he's not six foot five, but he's a you know he's a a, a big strong guy. Uh, I know it's only a handful of games, but early audit on Timo Meyer as a member of the New Jersey Devils.
3: Look, referencing that pass, I knew that Brendan
0: Smith. Ah, we just lost him. We have had the worst luck with phones the last couple of days. Well, yesterday with Gabby was, I mean, he's driving through the fields of Pennsylvania. Um, But getting Ryan back on here to talk about Timo Meyer. Ah, I'm running out of time, too. Um, that was a spectacular reception. <laughs> I'm telling you, man, like we think of lacrosse in the NHL and I'm a big lacrosse fan. I love the NLL. Got some great friends in the, uh, in the league. Shout out Paul Day, uh, <laughs> shout out Clarky. Um, but, uh, that was, I don't know how many times, I think Kent Nielsen used to do that where you would flip them a puck and you would, you would be able to receive it like a ladle on his blade and keep going. Um, That is the crossover of lacrosse and hockey right there. Um, By the way, the New Jersey, and I thought we'd see more of this coming out of um, COVID. The New Jersey Devils play the Tampa Bay Lightning back-to-back games. There's a day separating, I believe. I don't think it's an actual back-to-back uh, yeah, today and then on Thursday as well. Both the games are in New Jersey. And I really thought that coming out of COVID, it was gonna be, uh, the NHL schedule was going to have more of a baseball slant to it. So to this point, Tampa's going into New Jersey. You're not going in there to play one. You're going in there to play two. Or LA is going into Dallas. You're not going in there to play one. You're going in there to play two. Just to save on some of the wear and tear, save on the cost as well of traveling. Let's be honest here. It's expensive. Um, I really thought we'd see more of this. Actually, New is going to see a whole lot of Tampa games tonight, then the 16th, and then the 19th back in Tampa. We'll see a whole lot of Nikita Kucherov and crew, but given how good these two teams are, I'm here for all of it. I uh, want to thank our guests for stopping by. Ryan, uh, phone cut out on us, but all good. Give us some good stuff uh, before he bid you good afternoon. We'll hit a break. Player of the Day and Ryan Callahan of ESPN. Keep it here.
1: the biggest stories that matter to Toronto sports fans. The Fan Morning Show with Ailish Forfar and Justin Cuthbert. Subscribe and download the show on Apple, Spotify or wherever you get your podcasts.
0: This is the Jeff Merrick Show
1: on the Sportsnet Radio Network.
0: Hey, welcome back to the program. Uh, Welcome to Hour 2. Coming up, Ryan Callahan here in a couple of moments from ESPN, former NHLer. Elliot Friedman at the bottom of the hour from the general manager's meetings in Florida. Speaking of which, that's where Michael Russo, our good friend from The Athletic, who covers the Minnesota Wild and does national stories as well, uh, is at this time. Uh, Tweets this uh, a couple of moments ago. This one's a crusher. Don Waddell says Andrei Svechnikov is getting more imaging now. There's a call at two, and he expects a call after to confirm whether he has a torn ACL. Gut punch. He says Svechnikov is devastated. Keeps saying, sorry, Don. And then adds this crusher as well. Tonight, you guessed it, is Andre Svechnikov bobblehead night in Carolina. Matty Marchese, that's a tough one right there. The Hurricanes are facing off against the Winnipeg Jets. And it's Andrei Svechnikov night, and we're trying to figure out whether he's going to miss the entire season or not with the knee injury. That is, as we say in the business, Maddie, a tough one.
2: Yeah, it, uh, this this game is a cruel cruel mistress at times, isn't it? I mean, yeah. they lose they hey, lose me, Pacioretty me, and now Svechnikov as well. I mean, come on. Yeah.
0: Well, and and lost out on Timo Meyer as well. I. I there was I was told that there was one team that was pretty livid that they didn't get uh, Timo Meyer. They felt that their offer was a better offer ultimately than what New Jersey offered. I'm I wonder if Carolina was that team again. The person who told me this wouldn't tell me what the team was. Um, but I wonder if it was the Carolina Hurricanes. Um, Anyhow, by the way, just a quick thought on Andrei Svechnikov, and maybe it's not the right time to have this conversation as we await MRI results to see if he has a torn ACL or not, but I've always felt, like, at the beginning of every season, I always say to myself, or wonder to myself, is this the season that Andrei Svechnikov wins the Rocket Richard? I think this guy, I know he's a 30-goal guy, Uh, when he played with the Barry Colts of the OHL, he was a 40-goal guy. But I've always looked at Svechnikov at the NHL level and said, this guy has the potential, based on the shot, the size, the strength, the scale, like all of it, to score 50 every year. Like minimum 50 goals every year. Agree, disagree about Svechnikov.
2: No, I I agree. The only like he started out like gangbusters this year. He had 13 goals, I think, in his first nine games, and we're going. Oh my goodness, it's finally here! Um, and and I look like a genius. <laughs> yeah, because
0: yeah. I I mean, because I, I keep I keep saying it. Eventually, it's going to happen. I go, oh, man, Merrick called this one.
2: Yeah, didn't didn't work out unfortunately. And and like I said, I'm trying to figure out who's going to score goals for the Carolina Hurricanes in the playoffs. That's what I'm trying to figure out.
0: Yes, to It's all setting up perfectly. I would like, honestly, I would like nothing more than. I talked about that 2016 Finland World Junior squad, the one that won gold with, you know, Line a, Aho, and Puliyarvi as the top line. I would like nothing more. Well, I mean, there are a few things I'd like more, but I would like in my hockey fantasy, my hockey fantasy world. I would like few things more than to see the Carolina Hurricanes win the Stanley Cup. Yes, you play RV, you know, rekindling it with Sebastian Ajo has just like a glorious romp here through the rest of the regular season into the playoffs, turns into that guy that everyone, you know, hoped slash suspected he could be in his draft year. And, you know, Marcus Leto is ancient, just starts saying cha-ching, cha-ching, cha-ching uh, let's talk long-term contract extension for Yesu Pogliarvi. In my fan, and I get it, it's a fantasy, but in my hockey fantasy world, that's what I'm thinking about, Manny. Well, as long
2: as they can get him a helmet that fits.
0: <laughs> uh, all right, random play of the day. What do we got today? It returns. Uh, we,
2: got, we got a, a Toronto boy, uh, born and raised, and now residing in okay. Vancouver. Uh, Tony Tanti, and this one submitted yep. by Grant Crane and Tom Voza.
0: Always think of him as a Vancouver Canuck, but was drafted by the Chicago Blackhawks, uh, 12th overall in the uh, 1981 draft. Yes, for those keeping score at home, that was the Dale Howardchuck um, draft. Played soccer as well. Um, And the thing that I always marveled at with Tanti, which we shouldn't be surprised at, and ditto for, you know, the late, great Peter Zezel, was always good at playing pucks in his skates. And again, that's just the soccer background. Um, but was always good at playing, um, uh, playing the puck in his skates. Um, as a rookie in the uh, in the Ontario League in junior, he did something like unthinkable: eighty-one goals. Eighty-one, and had a six-goal game against the Kitchener Rangers as well. Now, eighty-one goals in a season that ties him second with Ray Shepard, Ernie Godden. Um, Lee uh, uh, has the most ever in a season in the OHL with 87 when he played for the Windsor Spitfires. That's the guy that when you ask Elliot, my answer is always Brian Fogarty. His is always Er Ernie Godden. Who's the guy you saw in junior that you thought was going to be a superstar in the NHL and it didn't work out? My guy you know, had various issues uh, off the ice, and that was Brian Frogerty, who was maybe the best junior player I ever saw with my own eyes. Now, mind you, I never saw Mario Lemieux, so temper of what I'm saying here. Frogerty was the best guy that I ever saw. Friedman always says Ernie Godden. Uh, Godden ended up with the Maple Leafs organization with 87 goals for Godin. Tony Tanti, with 81. Also played for the Penguins and the Buffalo Sabres. Uh, The trade to Chicago was for Kurt Fraser, and when we talk about underrated, sneaky, tough guys, I always put Kurt Fraser in and around the top of that list, much like I kind of always do with Brian McClellan, who's the general manager of the Washington Capitals. The guys that don't have to do it very often, Matty, because nobody wants to go with them, that's Kurt Fraser as well. Um, 340 goal seasons for Tony Tanti with the Vancouver Canucks, and Of interesting note, and it's just because I love mentioning this person's name, he played with the St. Mike's Buzzers before uh, junior hockey um, with a guy by the name of of Shane Kuklovich, whose father was Aggie Kuklovich, uh, 1972 interpreter for the Summit Series. He played a few games uh, with the New York Rangers. He was sort of the ambassador, Aggie Kuklovich was, Um, between the Soviets and Alan Eagleson and the NHL for, or whatever they called it, for 1972, Team Canada. I guess it was all NHL players. um, Shane Kuklovich was on his junior buzzers team. And any chance I get to mention Aggie Kuklovich, um, because I had him on the radio a couple of different times when I used to do the show with Waters. Really, really nice man. Uh, He was always considered the Henry Kissinger of hockey. And you want to hear a really funny story about Aggie Kuklovich, of course you do. So Aggie, when he opened up, because he worked for Air Canada, and that's where he was discovered by Alan Eagleson, uh, and he worked as an interpreter. When he opened up a bureau in Moscow, there was someone from the KGB who followed him around for years. Like every time he left the house, Matty, this person would be there. ...to follow him around. They never spoke. Like they, they never spoke. They never said a thing to him. But as the infamous Aggie Kuklovich story goes... ...one day on a, uh, on a hot summer day... ...Kuklovich uh, went over to buy an ice cream cone... ...bought two of them... ...gave one to the guy... ...and then walked away. And the KGB officer just kept following him... ...and ate his ice cream cone... And that was the only thing that Aggie Kuklovich, can you imagine? (laughs) Anyway, um, a long-winded way of of saying that, yeah, Tanti played in St. Mike's Buzzer's with uh, Shane Kuklovich, who I've always wanted to talk to about his father. I should try to get in touch with him because Aggie was a a delightful, delightful man. But this is supposed to be about Tony Tanti. What do you have about uh, the former Oshawa general?
2: Well, he would have had five straight um, fifty uh, forty goal seasons had he played full seasons, likely with the Canucks, which would be, you know, a feat that uh, not very many guys could say that they that they have. He actually yeah. he ended up uh, he ended up moving back to Vancouver, and he now runs Tanti Interiors, and they do flooring out in Vancouver. So that is what Tony Tanti awesome. is up to of
0: late. I love it. Uh, such a high skilled player. Okay, uh, you want to nominate your random player of the day? Have me and Maddie um, throw some facts around and some stories as well. JM Show at Sportsnet.ca is the email address. Thank you, Maddie. Coming up at the bottom of the hour, Elliot Friedman from the NHL General Managers Meetings in Florida. In the meantime, uh, here he is, one of our favorites, uh, former NHL forward, now commentator with ESPN. He is the one and only Ryan Callahan. Ryan, how are you today?
1: Good, doing good. Jeff,
0: how you doing? Uh, I'm well. So, you know, I was just mentioning this a couple of seconds ago before you came on. Um, the New Jersey Devils are playing the Tampa Bay Lightning tonight. And then the New Jersey Devils are playing the Tampa Bay Lightning again on Thursday. And I I really thought that coming out of COVID, and th- both are being played at the Rock at the Prudential Center, I really thought that coming out of COVID, the NHL schedule was going to have more of a baseball slant, that if you're going in for one, you're going in for two In order to you know reduce travel reduce costs wear and tear all of those things and it didn't happen like we thought it would coming out of covid we all just assumed it but it happens so rarely only a a a couple of times a season um was i the only one ryan or did you think as well like coming out of covid it would be more of hey we're going into new jersey uh we're the tampa bay lightning and it's going to be a two shot not one
1: yeah i kind of agree with you um Know, if I'm honest with you, I didn't I didn't give it too much thought coming out of COVID. I'm just kinda of happy we're getting back to a regular schedule. Um but <laughs> you know but you you hear you hear about it and, and the idea of it and um I like it and you know, the NHL is always trying to find new ways to to create rivals, to have those divisional rivals or whoever it is, um, you know, meaningful emotional games in the regular season and I think a great way of doing it is, is having these games where you, you play a team back to back. You know, I, I've gone into games before where either you're playing, you know, a, a team and you you have a big game where, you know, there maybe there are some fights or some big plays and you know it's a big emotional game and then you don't mm-hmm. see them again for another four months and you know when you see them again that that game that happened four months ago really isn't on the radar. But you know, to have one of those games and then two days later or a day later, all of a sudden you're, you're going back out there against this team. I I guarantee that would get viewership up pretty quickly. If there was, you know, some emotions <laughs> or a, a big game the night before. Yeah. Right. And you are always looking for ways to get viewership or, or whatever. I think that's a good way. And then, and then obviously, you know, the travel, the ease on the players, bodies, staying in one hotel, not have to jump on a plane. I, I think that's a no-brainer as
0: well to to do that. But um, like I
1: said, I was I was more interested in just getting back to a regular schedule than worried about how they were going to do it.
0: <laughs> it's funny. There's an old line from the uh, from the 50s and 60s, and I think it was Conn Smythe who said it. He said something along the lines of, we're going to have to do something about all of this fighting. Other than, otherwise, we're going to have to make bigger buildings. Um, <laughs> so, you know, maybe um, – Maybe I'll, maybe, maybe I'll start in by, by asking about travel. Before we get into you know, the games tonight and, and the various teams yeah, in the NHL, yeah. let me personalize something with you. Um, from your time in the NHL, uh, you and your colleagues from all the other teams, how much did players factor in travel when they hit free agency? Like I've always looked at a team like the Dallas Stars and said, oh man, that travel is a killer. That must really hurt them. When they go free agent shopping how much is travel a big deal or maybe it's not when hockey yeah. players decide when they're free agents where they want to go is it a big deal
1: i think it's talked about i do i think it's it's high on the list no i i don't not really um you know i think if you were down to two teams and you were you were kind of splitting hairs on you know where you want to go then maybe i think you know this travel could play into it or you know, an East Coast team versus West Coast team, you know, I think that makes more of a difference than anything rather than, you know, what's the team's yeah. travel. Uh, you know, you got a players from the East Coast that, or vice versa, you know what I mean? Or um, then I can see that coming into play. But I, I just know from me personally and, and hearing guys talk about it, I never really heard it talked about too much. Um, you know, coming from well, New York when I had Probably the easiest travel, right? I mean, we had so many teams right there, yeah. I mean, two of the teams, Jersey and uh the Islanders, we used to go the day of the game, right, and then I went to Tampa and it almost felt like that West Coast schedule being in Tampa where we'd be gone for you know a week and a half, home for a week and a half type of feel and um when I was deciding to resign there, that didn't even enter my brain to be honest uh travel but um, I guess every guy is different, but I haven't heard too many players, you know, discuss that in length about uh, not wanting to go to a team because of their travel.
0: You know, there was a, there's one friend of mine um, who had a decision to make between during his free agency between signing a Colorado or signing in Dallas. And Mm -hmm. he talked to a a very senior player who was sort of on his way out for for guidance. And the the answer was really interesting. He said, "Um, so you're deciding between Dallas and Colorado, are you? And he said, yeah. He said, well, are you married? And he said, yeah, I'm married. He said, do you want to stay married? And he said, yeah, I go to Colorado. (laughs) (laughs) Ended up going to Colorado. And sure enough, he's still married.
1: Uh, um, <laughs> with Ryan Callahan
0: here, so you know what? One of the interesting things here, uh, I mean, like, I'll, I'll just be blunt. Last year in the East, it was a dud, like, the regular season yeah. was a dud. We knew who was playing by the time Christmas rolled around, it was only a matter of you know who's gonna play whom, but like, it was done, and it's not done, um, now, and. Uh, the East is a, a much more interesting race, um, and we saw the East at trade deadline turn into an arms race as well. Um, just wide-brush thoughts, and we'll start to drill down on a couple of teams here. When you look at what's happened in the East this year specifically, whether it's all the trades, all the superstars going from West to East, whether it's you know Kane, or mm-hmm. Meyer, or O'Reilly, etc., is there anything about the East this year that specifically catches your attention, Ryan?
1: Yeah, I think first and foremost and besides from the trade deadline is, is just the emergence of some of the, the teams that were completely out of it last year. Um like as you said, December we kinda knew the top eight and it was kinda just a shuffle of a little bit of who is gonna play who where you know coming to this year you knew there were gonna be some teams that you know that, that looked like they were gonna be better on paper, uh should get better, but uh, the way that some of these teams in you know, like the Buffaloes, the Ottawa's Detroit's um <clears throat> I think that was the most interesting thing for me out of the East this year is just the emergence of some of those teams and, and how far they've come and how much they've they've pushed. Um the Islanders are always an interesting team to me as well, where you don't know what you're gonna get where they, you know, had some two good runs there and then, you know, obviously didn't have a great year but seemed to bounce back a little bit. You know, they had a veteran team that, that probably would, but you know, I, I think it's just the end. you know, it's it's just the emergence of those other teams that have have interested me and then come the trade deadline. I, I, I imagine you guys were too. This is how closely you guys follow it. I mean, I couldn't believe it. Like every day it was just a new oh, big yeah. name going from West to East. And I've never seen anything where it's star players. You know, it wasn't minor deals where you're getting a third or fourth liner. I mean, these are top headline players that yeah. were coming over to the East and, um, it surprised me, you know, and I I liked it too. I I liked how it was, I mean, I I wasn't working the trade deadline show today, so I didn't really care about how much action was on that day, but I kind of liked how each day you had, you know, a chance to talk about that trade or look at that trade. You know, it wasn't four or five trades in one day. It seemed to go day after day. So you could really like look at it and be like, okay, you know, this is what they're doing. This makes sense. And then the next day you'd be hit with another one where sometimes on trade deadline day, the day's over and it's hard to remember, you know, what guys what to what teams. You got to go back and look. Um, there's so much action going on. So I thought that was cool and, and different how GMs got ahead of it this year and, um, you know, went out two, three weeks before the deadline and, and started making some moves. And and if I look at that also, it, it I think it helps for a player coming over from a trade. I mean, the longer time if you can get a player to just get adjusted to everything and everybody talks about it, the city, the organization, your teammates, the stuff off the ice, I think the better off you are um, heading into playoffs. Um, so I, I like how the GMs got ahead of it this year, and it went out and spotted some players they wanted, and went out and got them.
0: So a couple of things there, man. There, there, there's a lot in there of what you just said. Let me let me try to pull out a couple of things. So one about <laughs> Sorry the deadline. About that. <laughs> um, it was no, no, no. Listen, trust me, man. You, you you left a couple of gems there. I'm gonna try to pluck them. Um, one uh, about the point about deadline. Um, it was trade deadline week. I mean, really, Bo Horvat yep. kind of kicked off trade deadline, but it really was, tri- leading up to that, it was trade deadline week with the Washington-Boston deal uh, with Orloff and, and Hathaway going. Mm-hmm. Um, it's Because you're right, every day there was the bomb, right? There was yeah. uh, Friday with uh, the Boston trade, then on Saturday afternoon it was Winnipeg-Nashville with Nita Ryder and then on and yeah. on to your point. it's a It wasn't a drip, someone just like opened a tap and it just came <laughs> pouring out. The worst day of trade deadline week was actual trade deadline day. I mean, exactly. the only dud yep. of the week was was what we saw on deadline day. But I, I think the one of the more interesting points you you just made there a second ago was about the Islanders. And so let me let me run this theory by you because listen, man, you played, I didn't play. You can tell me whether I'm off base or there's something here, I'm warm to the truth, or I've just missed another one. But I look <laughs> at the Islanders and I say, I say there are two types of teams: there are great regular season teams and there are great playoff teams. And I look at the Islanders, and I say, with all the veteran experience on this team and how they play, et cetera, say nothing of the goaltender who, you know, I know we're all giving the Vesna to lean us but save some love for Sorokin mm-hmm. here. I look at the Islanders, and I say, this is a team that is built to do well in the playoffs. The problem is you have to get into the playoffs. And I don't know that they're a good regular season team as much as they are a good playoff team. Which to me has to be endlessly frustrating, knowing that if you get in, this team is constructed to do well. The problem is you got to get in in the first place. Does that resonate yeah. with you, Ryan, or am I way off base?
1: No, you're uh, you're spot on, Jeff. I I, I completely agree with that with that statement, and um. I was doing a studio work with an ESPN uh, a couple weeks ago now, me and and PK Subin, and we kind of made a joke about, you know, Islanders hockey being boring and, you know, not too fun to watch. And, um, you know, the Islander fans, as per usual, jumped all over me. I don't think I was their fan favorite anyways to begin with. But, um, you know, it's – and to be honest with you, it's it's a compliment because – that's what they are. It's a team that, that wears you down when you play against them, too. And it's just the style that they play through the neutral zone, especially, that can frustrate a team, force a team into mistakes. Um, you know, I remember yeah. um, any time we played against them, I, you know, like you'd go in and you, you'd see guys visibly, visibly frustrated before the game started. You'd be like, oh, playing Islanders tonight, we've got to work for everything <laughs> we get. You know, there's gonna be no there's going to be no cookies out there, you know, like – it's um, yeah. it's a compliment to him. It's, it's Like I said, it's not the most exciting brand of hockey to watch, but, but man, it it, it accomplishes what you need to get done, and, and especially in the playoffs. And, and that's where you're right, Jeff. That's where I agree with you. In the playoffs where everything tightens up a little bit more, everybody squeezes their stick a little bit more, um, scoring seems to go down in the playoffs, especially late in series. You, you find that even more, you know, game five, six, and seven, I feel like scoring goes down where – Um, Islanders are comfortable playing that style of hockey they played it all year Uh, they have the system to do it and it's from their top guys to their fourth line that that play that same style and that's what frustrates teams is you never get a break from it and then obviously you mentioned Sorokin as well you know you finally do get an opportunity or a chance against them which is hard to get and all of a sudden you got to beat Sorokin so it's um, it's a team that I look at if I'm say if I'm a Carolina or a Boston um, or Jersey if they catch Carolina it's a team I'm looking at and I'm like I don't know how well we, we we made out here playing a wild card team if I got if you got to play those guys because you know it's going to be a battle of a series and you're gonna to have to you're gonna to have to earn every inch yep. so uh, I think you're I think you're spot on with your analysis and I just remember as a player you know even playing them in the playoffs I did uh, when I was in Tampa and um, we had that same feeling going into that series we're like man we're gonna to have to we're gonna to have to work for this. It's not gonna be a. It's not gonna be an easy series, and yeah. it's definitely not gonna be wide open.
0: Would you have? I, I've, I've wondered this about you. Would you have enjoyed, thrived, or hated playing with the Islanders? Because, like I've always said this about you. Um, like you're really hard to play against people did not like playing against you Um, other teams fans really didn't have a whole lot of time for you like and that's a compliment I always said like (laughs) if you're if you're a hockey fan and you hate Ryan Callahan don't feel special don't feel special (laughs) because he's a tough guy to play against would you have relished playing with the Islanders
1: I mean it's as a as a ranger i was it's it, it it's hard for me to say yes to that question, but um, <laughs> you know it's there's still something about that sweater and that uh, that logo that gets me but uh I, I i mean that's the kind of style I like to play, so you know what would i would I do I feel like I would have had success in that system and and liked playing for a team like that yeah. a- absolutely um there's 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 no question um you know i I tried to pride myself my game on on the details of the game um you know awareness of what was going on good defensively, um, you know try to be an energy type guy, and then and, you know as you, as you talk about that and you speak like that, it's kind of like islanders hockey right that's that's kind of how they've been molded for the last mm-hmm. several years here so um, so I definitely uh, besides the fact of yeah, yeah. by all of that we're going to put that aside i think uh, I, I think I would have been, would have been okay on the islanders.
0: A New York Ranger player is talking himself into an Islanders sweater right now on the radio. <laughs> Listen to this. Ryan Callan, talking himself into playing with the Islanders. Hey, um, yeah, speaking of the New York Rangers, one of your old teams, uh, oh, boy. Um, yep. I don't even know how to phrase this other than what's happening with the Rangers in your estimation? Like, you know, one person said to me, you know, we were, we were joking about it, and I was saying, um, well, maybe they need to just put another puck on the ice. There's so many guys that need the puck, and maybe that's the issue. So maybe the, the Rangers can lobby to add a puck to the game. I don't know. Um, what do you think? What do you think the issue with the Rangers is here? Because big moves, Tarasenko and Patrick Kane, mm-hmm. et cetera, no nope, small moves here for Chris Drury, but it hasn't clicked yet. What yeah.
1: gives? Yeah, and. Yeah. And it's, it's a good question and a hard thing to try to look at and figure exactly out what it is. I guess as I look at it, yeah. um, you know, you look at a top, you know, you look at any, any, you know, in history, the trades it, you trade for one of those, you know, top end players that comes right into your top six and, you know, they get two of them, Tarasenko and, you know, Kane kind of jumping into their top six some power play time as well. Um, it, it takes some time to gel and mesh, right. It, it's, you, you're used to those guys playing together so much. They've built up a chemistry, um, and I'm not saying you shouldn't make that trade because anytime you go out and get a Patrick Kane for what they got him for, I think yeah. you, you jump at it and you make that trade. I just think it takes longer time for those players to kind of integrate themselves into Ranger hockey, integrate themselves with their line mates, things like that. I mean, everybody talked about Kane and Panarin and their chemistry they had together. In fact, that was, well, mm-hmm. how, you know, how many years ago was that? So it's, not, I mean, that's not going to happen over overnight as well. You got <laughs> two, two smart players that, yeah. you know, think the game a lot differently than everybody else. Yeah. They're going to have chemistry. They did in the past, but I mean, that's not going to happen overnight as well. So I always, I always thought that, you know, when you go out and get those top end players, it takes them a little bit longer to get used to playing with a new team. Um, and I think that's what we're seeing there in New York. I mean, everybody talks about, you know, in those first couple of games, especially I was pulling my hair out watching. And I just wanted somebody to shoot the puck. Um, I'm out there trying to <laughs> pass it to each other and find Kane and everything else. I'm like, holy boys, this isn't going to work. Um, but yeah, I think you know, I think that's part of it. But I mean, and, and Shosturkin, I think his is not the same Shosturkin we saw last year. And you know, I don't know if he could have been by any means because he was lights out last year. But it's a Rangers team. You look at their lineup. You look at him in that come playoff time. And um, you know, it's one of those teams I'm not too worried about. Um, obviously they're not playing their, their style of game. They want to play yep. right now, and it's dip. But I just think it takes a little more time for those t- those top guys to get in, and I, I think it will happen, and um, it's just going to take a little more time.
0: Okay, last one for you. i got about a, a couple of seconds here. What is yep. a more intriguing or exciting matchup to you in the opening round, Tampa-Toronto or the Rangers-Devils?
1: Wow. <laughs> do you have a couple minutes. You gotta, we got we got a half hour to talk about this. <laughs> um yes. You played on <laughs> that's a, that's you played up. on you
0: played on the Rangers and, and the Bolts.
1: That's a, that's a toss up for me. I, I think I'm going to go towards the the Tampa Toronto and the fact that it's it's Toronto, right? Everybody's so curious if they can make it out of this first round again and um and what they can do and then you got a team in Tampa that has been in the cup three times in a row. Um a veteran team over there that you know, if you if you have questions in that, uh, I don't think you want to play the Tampa Bay Lightning the way they can put the puck in the back of the net. And um, right now, that yeah. seems to be the only question mark in Toronto. So um, that that always intrigues me. You know what they're going to do because I think Toronto is such a good team, so talented. And I think if they get past that first round, it's going to be like kind of like the Washington Capitals year they won. I mean, they be you know they won in that second round. They played us in the conference finals. They won in the finals, but after they got past that second round, it seemed like they were just. That's it. You know what I mean? We finally made it past yep. the second round. We're winning this thing. OV was just just different in the conference finals and finals. And then I see the same thing for Toronto. If they can get past that first round, watch out because I think they're going to have a fire lit underneath them. That's going to be behind them, and it's going to be a smooth sail mm-hmm. from there. But tell you what, it's going to be a tough time getting past that first round though in Tampa because I know they're going to. I know those guys very well over there, and they're going to relish nothing more than Bye. trying to knock them out again in the first round.
0: So, you know, Ryan Callahan, this is how I know you're now a broadcast professional because you gave the Maple Leafs and their fans a very soft landing as you started the answer by saying, <laughs> "I think everybody's curious to see how the Leafs are do." No, if you know anything about Maple Leafs fans, they're terrified, they're anxious, they're nervous, they are anything but curious. So I really, I really <laughs> like the way you gave Leafs fans a, a soft landing on that on that answer. It's a very, very broadcast professional thing to do. That's uh, that's that's, that's really I'm getting getting there, I'm Um, getting
1: there, slowly slowly but surely.
0: (laughs) You're there, dude, you're there, dude. Radio, television, ESPN, you name it, you're nailing it. Uh, Thanks, as always, for stopping by, pal. You be good. Awesome, Jeff, anytime. Thanks for having me on. The great Ryan Callahan of ESPN, former NHLer with the Rangers and the Tampa Bay Lightning, a little tour uh, around the NHL. I don't know that I would describe Maple Leafs fans as curious at this point. And maybe specifically after that Buffalo Sabres loss last night, angry, terrified, scared, nervous, losing sleep, sweating. <laughs> this playoffs could it be awesome again. It's going to be so good. Uh, we'll hit a break. Uh, Elliot's going to join us here from the GM's meetings in uh, Florida. What well, the time and temp is uh, on day two? As uh, last time we checked in about an hour and a half ago, he was texting me, chasing Colin Campbell and Stephen Walkham. We'll see if he caught one or both next. The Merrick Show continues across the Sportsnet Radio Network simulcast on Sportsnet 360 and Sportsnet Now.
1: Keep it here.